Turn in your Bibles now to Galatians chapter 3. We finished the first two chapters of Galatians as we're going through this book and be moving into chapter 3 today. <clears throat> you know, back in the middle of the 19th century, a man named Charles Darwin, who was bird watching in the Galapagos Islands, came up with the theory of evolution. It's the idea that things are getting better by themselves, that proceeding forth from a lower forms of life, that somehow things are developing through random chance and, and mutations and, and natural selection, and it's just getting better. And this theory of evolution, it's very appealing. I mean, I, I love the theory personally. I would love to believe that things are getting better. It's the predominant theory in biology today, but not only that, now it's branched out and it affected all sorts of other studies. You, you're familiar with Karl Marx. He's known as the Sirius of the Marx brothers. But uh, on the theories of Hegel and coming up with the idea of dialectic materialism, designed the foundations for communism that was taking the evolutionary theory and applying it to economics and politics and society in general. Sigmund Freud did similar things in the field of psychology, and that influence carried on to most psychologists today that base their theories on his groundwork that he did. In the field of child-rearing, Dr. Benjamin Spock in the 20th century you know, he was half Vulcan, half human, and he, he not really, he applied this to child rearing and said, basically, if you leave children alone, they just keep getting better and better. And it's a great theory, this theory of evolution. Like I say, I wish I could believe in it. But the fact is, there's something else that gets in the way of it. It's called the second law of thermodynamics or the law of entropy. And that is the principle of life that we observe every time we look in the mirror, and that is that we're wearing down. We're not automatically getting better. The truth is, things are getting worse. The law of entropy says that there was an origin of order, and everything that goes under its own momentum goes downhill, basically. Now, the law of entropy is sort of depressing, the older you get, the less I like it. The older I get, I wish I could believe in evolution. It's great. But the truth is, what I see all around me is the law of entropy at work, that things are coming unraveled. The truth is, this world that God has created, the only thing that can make it take a turn for the positive is when God, through His Spirit, with His creative power, comes in and does something that contradicts the second law of thermodynamics. It's what happened in Genesis. We see an earth that was formless and void, darkness upon the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God moved upon the waters, was hovering there over the waters, and God spoke this universe as we know it into existence. So also... The only hope for this world, the only hope for us personally, is for God's creativity to get involved, for His energy, for the power of the Spirit to come in and interrupt the flow of entropy, the flow of deterioration. Now, as we come to Galatians chapter 3, you think, what could this have to do with Galatians chapter 3? Paul is addressing 
the Christians there in Galatia, this area of Asia Minor where there were these various churches, and what had happened is they had accepted Jesus Christ. And they were doing okay. They were walking with God, walking in the Spirit. But people had come in and said, that's not the end of it. God does His work, but now it's your turn to do your work. See, if we're going to get better, what we need to do is return to the law. What we need to do is to have a list of rules and regulations whereby we reform ourselves, whereby we make ourselves better, where we can improve our lifestyle and our lives and each other. And it's this legalism that comes in and leads them away from the work of the Spirit of God that was in their lives. And so he's frustrated with them. Because he says, at one point you accepted the good news. The good news is that God did it for you already. And yet now you're going back to a system whereby you think you can fix yourself? He's very frustrated with this. Because they are trading something that now is not good news at all. If you are banking on your ability through mutation and chance and natural selection that somehow we're going to fix ourselves, it's not going to work. What we need is the creative power of God working in our lives. And that's the gospel, the good news, that God wants to do it for us, that he wants to interrupt the flow of our deterioration. Oh, we can use artificial means to try to convince ourselves that we're getting better, but we're really not. You look in the mirror and you can say, okay, maybe makeup is better than it was years ago. Maybe there are a lot more surgical procedures and things that can prop us up and lean us out and whatever. But the truth is, we're falling apart. And that's what happens to us in every area of life unless God intervenes. And that's what he did on the cross. And that's what he wants to continue to do in our lives. So Galatians chapter 3, let's read beginning with verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Paul's deeply concerned. Rather than addressing them as his brothers in Christ, he addresses them as foolish Galatians. The Galatians were known as a people for being flaky, for being knee-jerk reactors to everything, jumping on the bandwagon of any fad that would come along. As a result, they jumped into Christianity when it was presented. But now as legalism comes along and adds to it, they were ready to swallow that too. And so he says, you guys are acting like your neighbors. Foolish Galatians. And he says, who's bewitched you? Who's brainwashed you? Who took control over you? The guts of the passage is in verse 3. And it's something that I believe we should be thinking about every day of our lives. Having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? That's what the Galatians were opting to do. And that is a foolish choice indeed when we begin with God's Spirit and we end up with our own personal effort, our own personal rules and regulations. 
We leave that which is enough. We leave the work of the one who died so that we don't have to save ourselves, who works in our lives so that we don't have to reform ourselves in our own effort. And he says, what happened? And I, and I think that, you know, every once in a while, you know someone who had everything going for them. They were great looking, really smart, talented, oozing with potential. They were voted most likely to do everything. And years go by and you see them and you can hardly believe your eyes. The years haven't been kind to them. Potential was never reached. You look at them and they're just a mess. Working some dead-end job, having no success that was anticipated, ultimately deteriorating physically as well, and you look at them and go, wow, what happened? And that's kind of what Paul is doing here as he looks at the Galatians, and he's saying, what happened? How did this happen to you? And may God not look at us and say, what happened? Where did you go wrong? But here as he's talking to them, he goes, who has bewitched you? Who is it that would lead you away from something that's sufficient to go after something that will deteriorate and rob you of who you are? Now, it certainly isn't God who would say, okay, now you've accepted the grace of God. Now let me give you a rule book. I need you to help me. See, God would never tell you to do that because he doesn't need your help or my help. He has all power, and plus he remembers, as we read in the Psalms this week, that he remembers that we are dust. He remembers what we're made of. He remembers how he created us from next to nothing, just from those minerals that exist in dirt. So God's not going to be asking for our help. He doesn't say, you know what, I gave you guys a good start, but now I need you to chip in. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but you're going to be kept by works. It's time for you to take over and drive now. God wouldn't do that. Jesus Christ died so that you wouldn't have to do that. He gave his life and said, it is finished. It's paid in full so that you wouldn't have to live under any kind of a law anymore but the law of grace, the law of love. So he says, who's fooled you? Who's brainwashing you? Well, ultimately, the answer is pretty simple. The same one who ever since the Garden of Eden has been trying to destroy God's creation, the devil is behind every brainwashing attempt to cause us to get beyond the grace of God, to leave what God has done and to begin to emphasize what we need to do, to say it's our turn. It's what Satan said to Eve. He said, oh, you're not going to die if you eat of the fruit. Hey, you'll get really smart. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. No longer will you have to listen to what God says. You'll figure it out on your own knowing that that would destroy them. Now, people often say, what is motivating Satan to try to get people to follow him? He knows he's finished. He knows he'll be destroyed. He knows he's going to hell. Why does he want to take people with him? Well, he is so jealous because, frankly, he failed, he sinned, and no one died for him. But he sees us. We sin, we fail, but someone died for us. 
and paid the penalty for our sins. And we have hope and we have a future. And that drives him crazy. And the more people that he can destroy and take with him, the more satisfaction he'll have. It's like back in the days when somebody tried to throw you in a swimming pool. At first, you start fighting. You don't want to go in the pool in your clothes. But somewhere along the line, your thinking shifts. And you go, you know, I'm going in. And now I'm going to see how many people I can hang on to and drag in with me. The game changes. And that's what it has done for, for Satan as well. He just wants to destroy. He's a thief and a liar. Jesus said that he came to steal and to kill and to destroy. Who has fooled you? Satan is involved in trying to do it. But on a human basis... And in their situation, there were actual people who were also trying to brainwash them. Now, who would want to brainwash you to turn your back on the grace of God to turn into some sort of legalism? Who would want to brainwash you when you've been set free and now they want to make you a slave? Well, people who have invested their whole lives trying to be good, trying to follow the law, they've failed. But the only way they can really experience satisfaction is if they can cause people to be trying to do what they're doing but not measuring up. In other words, they need to have someone that they can grade themselves against to lower the curve. It's the way you felt when you were in college and, or even in high school and you found out that a teacher grades on the curve. And then there's that kid up front that keeps asking really stupid questions and you're like, yes. It's great, man. I know there's one kid that's going to score lower than I am. And if you have four or five really stupid people in a class, all of a sudden you have a certain peace. It's like, you know what? I know I can, I can pass this class because they grade on the curve. Well, that's what legalists do. They've been trying to lead their lives doing what they can do. And as long as they can rope other people into it, it's a pyramid scam, it's something whereby if you can sign up enough other people, you rise up in the pyramid. All of a sudden now they're under you, working for you, helping you because they're trying to do what you're trying to do, but you got a head start. And so it doesn't really matter whether what you're doing is valid or not. You prop yourself up by incorporating other people into what you fell for. And so these Judaizers who had spent their lives trying to be holy and realizing that they weren't. They needed to get other people involved so that at least they would have someone to look up to them. Again, adding layers to their pyramid. And so he says, who's doing this? And the implication is, why don't you think about who it is that's laying this trip on you? Are these people that you really want to follow? Are these people who really have your good in mind? Or are they people who are putting you down? People who are wishing you evil? People who are tearing you up? People who are condemning you? Is that who you're allowing to brainwash you? Those who want to pull you down to their level? Who, he says, oh foolish Galatians, is brainwashing or bewitching you? Who's, why would you even buy into this kind of a scam? And he says, let me... Tell, tell me this, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says, okay, personally, let me ask you a question. 
when you first came to Christ, when you first felt God working in your life, what was it like? What was life like? Was it something that happened by the Spirit of God, or was it something that you had to work up or earn your way to? Did the Lord come to you and say, I want to forgive you and give you a fresh start? Or did God come to you and say, here's a set of rules. Now, once you follow these rules, then maybe I will consider you as my child. And so you walked away from God with your arms full of brochures of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and a nicotine patch and all these things. And you're going, okay, I got to do all this stuff so I can come to God. Or did the Holy Spirit just come to you and say, you know, I know you don't understand, but you've been forgiven. And you understood the most rudimentary elements as he said to them, Jesus Christ clearly portrayed among you as crucified. You, you realize Jesus died for me, that's all I know. Now what happens? You move from that and you learn a lot more. And yet in the process, you're becoming a lot less. More information in your head, and there's nothing wrong with that. But are you moving out of the spirit and into the flesh? Out of what God did and into what you can do. So he said, what was it like when you started? And I would encourage you to think back when you first came to the Lord. How much did you really understand? Had you figured it all out? Did you have all the answers? Did it, you just come to the logical conclusion after looking at all the evidence that I'm going to make an intelligent decision? Or... Did God just touch you in a way that didn't make a lot of sense? And maybe a lot of your theology was all twisted up, and yet something happened, and the Spirit of God touched your life. I, you know, I love seeing new Christians because you can see God working in their lives even though they're really mixed up, even though they have a lot of the information twisted around. I love hearing them share their faith. Pastor Chuck tells a story about a girl, young teenage girl who had just accepted the Lord like a week before. And she went out street witnessing. That's what people used to do after they became a Christian. And she was sharing. And there was a guy on the street who was a professor at UCI, brilliant man, PhD. And, and the girl started to share about how Jesus loved him. And this guy just started laughing at her. And he said, you know, how do you know the Bible is the Word of God? Don't you know it contradicts itself? And you know the Bible says the earth was created in six days and it's only 8,000 years old. Do you understand the Bible says some guy got swallowed by a whale and that can't happen? And he started taking her through all these things and she just kept saying to him, all I know is Jesus died for you and he loves you. And he just began to ridicule her and finally she just broke down in tears and walked away feeling like, I better do some more homework before I do some more witnessing. But that guy within a week came down to the church. He knew she was from Calvary Chapel and he came and he talked to Pastor Chuck and he said, you know, there was this girl that was trying to witness to me and she didn't know anything. And I tied her up in knots and made her cry. But he said, what I couldn't get out of my head when I went home that night was, I wish I had what she has. Does Jesus really love me? Did he really die for me? And the guy gave his life to the Lord at that point. And it wasn't because she was so apologetically prepared. It was because the Spirit of God worked through the simplicity of who she was. And the truth is, every one of us, when we came to the Lord, that's how it happened. And so he's saying, remember what it was like. 
Remember what life was like. Remember how conversion happened. Why did you move past that? Now, as he talks about the flesh and the spirit, we can turn over a, a page or so to chapter 5. And later, as, we go, as we're going through the book of Galatians, in a few weeks, we'll come to this passage again. But I just want to read it to you to give you a basic description of what we're talking about when we're talking about the flesh and the spirit. He says in verse 19 of chapter 5, here's what the flesh is. The works of the flesh are evident. They're really obvious. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. We're feeling like, oh yeah, those are really bad things. But then he goes, hatred, contentions, arguments, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Wow, how do you lump all that stuff together? Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So now back in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, he says... Here's what I want to know. When you came to the Lord and God began to work in your life, did your life look more like the flesh or did it look more like the Spirit? Is that how you were saved, by cleaning up your act? Or were you saved by God just touching you? And then as he comes to verse 3, he says, How can you be so dumb? Are you so foolish? You had a great start having begun in the Spirit. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? He's saying, it's the dumbest thing in the world that you started well, and now you're deteriorating. You're allowing the law of entropy to, to work in your life when the Spirit of God wants to create afresh in you a new work of God constantly by the Spirit of God. He gives you that opportunity. When you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was put inside you. It was given to you. You received him. He's with you. And it was, it was so beautiful how he was working. But now look at your life. In the name of Christianity, in the name of maturity, you are deteriorating rapidly. It used to be you'd fight about things like what team is going to win the NCAA basketball championships and now you're fighting about when the rapture came is going to come. And yet, you're still fighting. Contentions and strife. Don't you see? This is backwards. Oh, this is what naturally happens because of the law of entropy. But he's saying, what happened to you? That your life was one of love and joy and peace, and now it's a life of ugliness and idolatry and selfishness and contentions and strife. You started well. Is it just submit to the law of entropy? Are you waiting for evolution to take place and somehow you think you've grown? You're becoming disgusting. I'm looking at you, Paul would say, and go, I'm thinking, what happened to you? What has messed you up so much? 
And I believe that this is a serious question that each of us needs to ask ourselves consistently on a daily basis. And I believe as a church, it's a question that we need to wrestle with constantly as well. Because you see, the natural progression, the law of entropy, will lead us not to becoming better and better automatically or helping ourselves to improve, but it will always lead to deterioration. And the spirit in which we started with the Lord is the spirit that we need to proceed during our sanctification as he does that work in our lives. And it happens by us understanding that it's all about him, that he wants to do the work in our lives. Our job is to receive from him. Our job is to see what he has done and to respond in thankfulness, gratefulness. And then the obedience that flows forth from realizing what he has done for us. But if instead we get the idea that, okay, God, you got me off to a good start. Now let me take it from here. Let me learn a bunch of stuff. And boy, then I'll really win some battles for you. Having begun in the spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? How can we tell if that happens? Well, those qualities of the works of the flesh will be involved in our walk with the Lord. We'll start to fight with others. We start looking for opportunities to disagree, to be bitter, to look out for ourselves. Another thing that you see is you just start getting run down, worn out, because you've been fighting the battle. You've been trying to make it happen on your own. You'll also notice that every once in a while your life just kind of crashes and burns. It's a sign that you've been driving. It's a sign that you're trying to do too much. The Spirit isn't there. And then love, joy, peace, is that there? If it isn't, somehow you've moved beyond and you're trying to make yourself perfect in the flesh. Oh, you may look at it objectively and say, but all these rules I have are good rules. But what happens? We start to, instead of, originally, we just start obeying God because we love Him. But then we think, well, I better obey Him no matter what. Next thing you know, you're following a rule book and, and the Spirit is somehow missing in your life and you start going downhill fast remember when you for most of you it was your father who taught you to ride a bicycle with two wheels and dad was hanging onto the seat and running along next to the bike and eventually you got to the point where you could pedal on your own you could balance on your own and dad let go of the seat and there you were you were off riding I remember when I taught William to ride a bike we were down at a park Ended up feeling really bad because he did well. Started off on the bike, was just pedaling like crazy. I'm like, yeah, William, you're doing it. And I couldn't keep up with him. He took off. Just started heading straight for this big drainage canal. And boom, he crashed and fell and looked up at me like, how could you do that to me, Dad? But see, we take that same kind of thinking and we think, oh, it's beautiful being a new Christian when God's hanging onto your seat. There's such security in those training wheels. But then we get to a point and we go, okay, God, I can pedal, I can steer, I can balance. And as we take off, he goes, I didn't teach you about the brakes yet. And we're like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, crash. It happens to our lives, beginning in the spirit, being made perfect in the flesh. If there's one thing we need to understand always is that we need him constantly. We have to depend on him for our every breath, for everything that we do, or we're heading into a ditch. We're moving towards 
devastation ultimately. The Spirit of God isn't someone who gives birth to you and then lets you out of your shell and lets you fly away and just do whatever you want to do. The Spirit of God is one who is within you and wants to lead and guide you every step of the way. Without God's creative work, entropy will certainly dominate your life. Moving from order to disorder, it's just going to happen. That's why that prayer is so important. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. God, give me a fresh start. I don't know about you, and I do know about you, but I can speak for me and say, I need that every day. If God doesn't create something new in my life today by His Spirit, I'm heading downhill. I might not notice it at first, but I'll start to build up that momentum of devolution. And I can believe all I want that I can make myself better. And I get all pumped up and motivated You know, I can listen to some motivational speaker who just cheers me on and causes me to believe in my own potential. But the truth is, as much as that motivational speaker can do to pump me up, if the Spirit of God isn't working in my life, I'm going to end up living in a van down by the river. It's just not going to work. It doesn't happen. I need God to do something fresh in my life on a daily basis, and that's what a walk in the Spirit is. And he says over there in chapter 5, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. How does it happen? Walking in the Spirit, it happens by being dependent on Him. It happens by spending time with Him daily, by seeking Him, by exercising the gifts that God has given us, by allowing the Spirit to flow through me. Well, how does that work out practically? Here's how. I don't depend on momentum. God doesn't give me a blueprint and say, okay, here's where you're starting, and here's where you're going to finish. Now find your way there. Because God's creativity means, another way of looking at his creativity is that he has a really weird way of doing things. Twists and turns, surprises every day of our lives. He does things that we don't understand, and we don't even like them sometimes. But that's that new work of God. Everything that happens in your life is God interrupting the entropy that your flesh and this world is operating on. And so as much as it may be uncomfortable, he takes away someone that you love or you lose a job that you thought was just the greatest or you, know, you, you find yourself all of a sudden limited and not being able to do things that you used to do. Memories fading and, and eyesight's getting weaker and all those things that are happening, that's God's creativity. That's God saying, wait till you see how I'm going to use this. Wait till you see what I'm going to do through this. But you have a choice of fighting against God's creativity or of submitting to the Spirit of God and going to Him on a daily basis and saying, God, I want a new work today. I don't want to have my future just planned out for me so I can do it by myself. God, I want my future to be in your hands. I want to do what you want to do. And God, I give you permission. In fact, I want you to surprise me. Because it's only when you step into something that's formless and void and you speak your word and you speak your creativity that something good happens. And then we start going downhill until you do it again. 
And God, I want you to do it for me every day. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to be in in just a close intimacy with you. If we don't do that, we naturally start doing it for ourselves. We start fixing ourselves up. We start reforming ourselves. We start worrying about how we look, and we think that if we look good, that we'll be good. We would rather say, you know, I feel terrible, but somebody says, boy, but you look great, and go, whoo, boy, that's good. (laughs) As long as I don't look bad, I hope I don't look as bad as I feel. Or we say, God, here I am. I, I need your spirit to work in my life. I need you to do something fresh and new for me. The alternative to that is to walk in the flesh. You can do it on your own effort. You can actually seem to clean up your act. You know, you can take a branch from one tree and graft it into another tree, but it's not going to give out seeds that end up growing that kind of mixed fruit tree. The same way you can... There are certain animals that you can mate them and you'll come up with some sort of a weird um, combination of the two. But that one won't be able to produce. And it's that kind of work. It's like, you know, mating a horse and a... Is it a horse and a donkey that makes a mule or a horse and a mule that makes a donkey? I don't know. Somebody can fix it and put it on the tape, right? But the, the, the point is, that's what we do with our lives. We just go, I don't care if what happens is fruitful. I just want it to give cool rides to kids. And ultimately, how, however it comes out and whatever goes from that, that's okay. Let me fix myself. Leave me alone. I can do it myself. That's what the life of walking in the flesh is all about. It's a life that just says, I'll do it. We have two choices. As C.S. Lewis says, and I, I love it when he said this, he said, he said, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who say to the Lord, thy will be done. And those to whom the Lord says, all right then, have it your way. And it's true. And it's a choice that we make. Okay, you're a Christian. God gave you a fresh start. Now, which way do you want it? Do you want to submit to him and walk in the Spirit? Or do you want to be in charge and have it your own way? Oh, some of the most religious people in the world, some of the most righteously appearing people in the world are living under a system of legalism. But the truth is, eventually, the flesh comes out. It's why some of the most, you know, people who are preaching the hardest against sin, and they're just constantly harping on holiness... All the time. So often you follow them for a while and you'll see that they deteriorate into some gross sin themselves. It's happened over and over and over again. Why? Because legalism is not the path that God has chosen by which we are made righteous. It's through grace that we're saved, through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it's the same thing with our sanctification. He wants to do it by His Spirit. And if we decide we'll do it ourselves, we can put up a good act for a while, but ultimately we will not become what He has designed us to be because He doesn't need our help. The best way we can help Him is to stay out of His way and let Him do what He wants to do. And so as individuals, we need to look at our lives 
thinking back on where we started, what it was like, that freshness and newness of the Spirit, and then say, okay, having begun in the Spirit, did I take over somewhere along the road? Did religion take over? Did other people take over? Did the church take over? Is there some artificial man-made structure that now is dictating who I am rather than the Spirit of God working fresh in my life? Having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect in the flesh? Be careful because that is a law of nature. That is something that naturally happens unless the creative power of the Holy Spirit of God is constantly renewed in our lives. It happens in individuals, but another thing is it happens in churches where you start out so innocent and just all the love and joy and it's just a, a great fellowship. But eventually as it begins to grow, and I'm not sure if growth is a blessing or a curse, it can be both, but you get more people and then you think, you know, these people expect a lot more. It's time to get a little fancier. It's time to promote things a little bit more. It's time to, you know, we need to sharpen things up a bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's what happens. The church becomes a machine. It just becomes a corporate entity. And it happens by the laws of marketing and business rather than by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, as a church gets older, you create traditions. Well, that's the way we do it. That's why. We've always done it that way. That's why. Here's our distinctions. Here's the, here are the things that make us who we are. And now, instead of living by the Spirit of God, we're living dictated by our own history and our own concept of progress and our own desire to become even something more. We start helping God out. And in the process, we destroy that for which Jesus died. We destroyed that work of God that was at one time such a beautiful thing. And now, if we leave it to the forces of nature, the second law of thermodynamics kicks in. And having begun in the Spirit, we start to become made perfect by the flesh. It's something we need to guard ourselves against very, very seriously because this is a force of nature that we can't fight. It happens if you just let it happen. And it's only the creative power of the Spirit of God that can interrupt that law of entropy. And God wants to do that for us as individuals and as a church. Paul goes on finally to say to them, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? See, one reason why you move from the Spirit to the flesh, the Spirit hurts. It really does. Walking in the Spirit, being loving... Caring, being selfless, oh, it leads to sharing in the sufferings of Christ. It's that call of God that says, hey, come to me and take my cross. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So that law of the Spirit causes life to hurt. It doesn't relieve us of all of our pain. Our natural tendency is to avoid pain at all costs. And so we begin to compromise the spirit because it just hurts too much. Where at one time we might have prayed for a long time, pouring our heart out to God for someone, interceding in prayer. But we didn't see him do what we wanted to do. And we go, that was a waste of time. 
Or God spoke to us and told us to speak up to someone and talk to them, and they just insulted us or laughed at us, and we just decided, wow, that's the last time I do something just because I think God told me. I think I better start learning the rules of this religion and not doing it the way I think the Spirit tells me. See, we learn the wrong lessons. It's supposed to hurt. It hurt Jesus. And walking in the Spirit can be extremely painful. But life hurts no matter what. You're either going to get hurt by walking in the Spirit, or you'll be hurt even more and eternally by walking in the flesh. And so Paul says to them, yeah, you've been through a lot. I understand persecution. I understand the pain and the frustration of, of walking in the Spirit. But he said, do you want to do that for nothing? Everything you've been through, do you want it to be for no purpose? And now you're going to subject yourself to a, a brainwashing, a bewitching that's going to cause you to be driven by forces that are going to auger you into the ground? Is that what you want? How foolish and how tragic. And he would say it to each of us. I know walking in the Spirit has been difficult. But do you want that pain to happen for nothing? And do you really want to start with the Spirit and end up in the flesh? Is that what you thought you were getting yourself into? God spoke to you. He revealed Himself to you. You sensed that He was real and gloriously your sins were forgiven. And did you do that only to later just become a part of a religious machine? What a waste. How foolish. And the devil to this day, when he sees the Spirit working in someone's life, he comes along and he goes, I got something more for you. Have something even better. And you can look back on those crazy Spirit days and, and brag about them. And then I can lead you on into even greater maturity. Here's another test to know if you're walking in danger of having begun in the Spirit and made perfect in the flesh. Are all your stories really old stories? When you talk about what God has done in your life, is it all about back when you accepted the Lord? Is that it, or is God doing something right now? That's an indication. When we're living in the past, when we're way more excited about our memories than we are about our dreams of the future, that's a sign that we've given into the machine, that we've become just religious, that we've become righteous artificially, that we've become phony, that we sold out what is our, the depths of our soul and opted for something that's very understandable, giving up on the mysteries of life, the mysteries of eternity, and instead being satisfied for something that we understand very well. We can defend vociferously. We can argue and debate it endlessly. We have the answers. I don't want the answers. I want the one who has the answers. I want God working in my life on a daily basis, and I want him to continue to create new things in my life. I want a living, breathing relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to live that way for the rest of my life every day. And every day when I don't, all of these fleshly things start popping up to let me know, you're getting ahead of me. You're getting out of the Spirit. You're moving past where God is working and now you're the one who's working. I don't want to live that way. And I hope you don't either. Don't be brainwashed. Having begun in the Spirit, will you really be made perfect in the flesh? It won't work. 
and it will destroy you. You're bewitched. You're brainwashed. You're fooled. You need to understand who is doing the brainwashing. And you need to reject him, resist him. He will flee from you and instead come back to where you started, back to you and the Lord, back to the Spirit of God working afresh in your life. And as you see that happening, then every day of your life you'll see the law of entropy interrupted and violated by the one who created the law of entropy, by the only one who can bring order out of disorder, the only creative spirit in the universe. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you, be with you personally, lead and guide you every step of the way. If you'll depend on him, he'll do that. But if you decide to just pedal faster and get away from him, he'll let you do that too. Because he knows if you don't know how to use brakes, you'll find out how to use drainage ditches. (laughs) I'd rather learn to use the brakes. I'd rather have him with me on the bike. Let's pray. Lord, those of us who are your children, we do remember what it was like. Scared and not understanding, kind of out of control, doing crazy things on a daily basis, but knowing the power of your spirit, knowing that with whatever else we don't know, we knew that you were there and that you were changing us. Lord, we're sorry for becoming much more professional for learning enough that we think we know how to do it now. For believing somehow that we're a team with you and you'll only take us so far and then we need to pick up the baton and finish the race. Oh God, please help us to walk in your spirit. And allow us to notice that love and joy and peace and patience and all of those qualities that are the fruit of the spirit Help us to see those in our lives as an indicator that we are, in fact, walking in the Spirit. And Lord, when our anger begins to erupt and when our selfishness comes to the surface and when we start to do things that we know are wrong and hurtful, Lord, help us to recognize those as works of the flesh. Having begun in the Spirit, we want to finish in the Spirit. And help us to do that. Lord, work within our hearts that work of the gospel whereby we reject human religion and we receive a relationship with the living God on a daily basis. Create within us a clean heart. Constantly, we need it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.